0: Beyond the Horizon is back. After a short hiatus, we've got a brand new batch of interesting conversations from the members at the 178th Wing. Let's get started with the latest episode. Enjoy. Hello, this is Airman Simpson, and you're listening to Beyond the Horizon, a podcast produced by the Ohio Air National Guard's 178th Wing in Springfield, Ohio. Today, I'll be speaking with Master Sergeant Snyder from Security Force Squadron and his recent completion of the Air Assault School, also known as the 10 toughest days in the Army. Well, thank you, sir, so much for joining us today. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. For those that don't know, what is Air Assault School?
1: Yeah, so, um, so Air Assault School in general, like its primary purpose is to take ground forces via um, vertical airlift into enemy key terrain behind enemy lines. Um, and to secure that terrain. And uh, also like fight enemy forces while also doing that, but also setting up landing zones for supply and resupply. Um, It also has to do with like repelling out of helicopters, securing landing zones, um, setting up sling loads, receiving sling loads, and then sending sling loads out and being able to inspect them to make sure that you don't hook up a humvee and it just like falls off a helicopter like in midair and just like crushes a town in a, or a house in a village somewhere or something like that so that's kind of like the the primary objective of air assault school so why don't you go ahead and just walk us through it all so air assault school is 10 days long uh, you start with zero day which is starts with a bag drag and there's and when i say there was 140 people in our class Those are the people that made it through zero day. So generally we we started with about 200, maybe 210 around there. Um, And the first thing they do is you do a bag drag. They send you a packing list out um, and you have to make sure that you have everything on this packing list verbatim, like to the T. And what I mean mean by that is like for an example, um, a guy came in at three o'clock in the morning the day of the course. And one of the packing list items was goggles, but it says clear goggles and his goggles had a tint like they had the, you know, like kind of like a sunglasses tint on them. They sent him home first day, didn't even make it through there. Um, Everything has to be it's all attention to detail. Right. And that's like for them is the difference. and, And it makes sense to me more now than ever is attention to detail is like the difference between you coming home and not coming home. Right. So they really harp on attention to detail. And the first thing you do is can you even pack your ruck right? Like, do you have the right equipment? Like we sent you a packing list. Do you have it? Um, Once you've done that, you start basically the smoke session of the O day or the the zero day where you they call you off the line. You get in line and you start getting smoked. And then once everybody's got their equipment inspected, um, you head off to the O course, which is the obstacle course for the Army. Um, There's a standard for that uh, to pass uh, while also being smoked continuously the whole time. Like you have to be able to do things like the confidence climb, which is like a 35, 40 foot rung climb, essentially, with like five to six feet intervals that increase as you get higher. And then you have to slide over the top, which is kind of stressful. You're smoked prior to the obstacle. You do the obstacle. And then when you go to the next obstacle, you're basically waiting in a queue to do the next obstacle. So you're being smoked again. So you're going to have to do all these physical feats to the standard while also being under physical stress, which is the continuation for that entire day. Um, there's also the two mile run that day as well. Um, I believe it's actually before the O course. You run a run two miles um, under 16 minutes, but you're in full full uniform and just tennis shoes, which is a very uncomfortable two miles. Yeah, but a lot of weird stuffs yeah. rubbing. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a it's a thing. Um, so once you complete the O course um, and you've made the physical standard for that day, then you you start your training the following day. Wow. So you haven't even really started the training yet at this point? This is day zero. Like this is just to make sure that you can meet the bare minimal physical standard. And that's not even like the highest physical feats of the day or of the the, the training course itself. Yeah. So you learn the first three days you learn about. Helicopters, you know, your utility helicopters, your cargo helicopters, uh, their capabilities, how many passengers they can have, what kind of capacities they have, and it's a lot of numbers. It's a, a lot of weights, a lot of load numbers, um, and then they test you on that third day. On that third day, you get tested in the morning. Um, it's a fifty testing or fifty question test, and like if you fail, then you have like one more refire, and if you fail that test again, then you're out. Which we've we had that type of situation where we had to like, uh, army ranger, absolute PT stud just destroyed everybody on the two mile run. And he was like the guide on the fastest guy is always the guide on, um, huge stud, you know, ranger, and he failed his first written test. Um, so once you complete that testing now with that testing is also goes with like landing zones too. So you learn how to set up landing zones, how to measure them, like which direction a helicopter should come in on um, like how to actually like call the helicopter, do the the hand and arm signals to bring a helicopter in, how to properly uh, mark like a nighttime, uh, nighttime like helicopter insertion. Mm -hmm. Um, So once that's completed, you go into the next phase. So like you, you test in the morning. Now you're into the next phase of the training on that third day, that afternoon, which is sling loads, which the sling loads, is arguably the hardest part. So hard, in the regards to just attention to detail, it's not physically hard. Um, with with the sling loads, basically you have two opportunities to identify problems with a sling load in two minutes. So you have to search an entire sling load for problems and you have to find three out of the four problems with that sling load to pass. So they'll throw a Humvee in front of you that has, you know, 120 checkable items on it, and they'll put four things on it that's potentially wrong, and you have to find it. Um, For us, out of the 140 uh, that we had, uh, 90-plus failed the first time around, failed the sling loads the first time, myself and the other two National Guardsmen included. So then on Monday, on the the following uh, day, or the following, you get the weekend to, like, recover, And then on Monday, uh, you test again. And if you fail it again, you go home, which sent about 30 people home. On top of that, you're also doing physical things in the morning. Um, Like you have a six-mile ruck, has to be under an hour and a half. So it's a 15-minute mile pace with a 40-pound pack and a rubber duck. Like a rubber duck's a a rubber gun, right? It's like a rubber M16, Mm -hmm. rubber M4. Um, If you walk, you have to carry it in the low-ready position so you can't swing your arms. If you run, you can carry it one-handed. So you do you do that during the, uh, that f- that first week, along with a four-mile run as well. So you do another four-mile run. That's it's timed, but it's a group run. You run as a like, as a group, doing jodis and things like that. But there's uh, pacers behind you. If you fall out of line, you're not an arm's length from the person in front of you, then you fail. And with that, like again, attention to detail and like equipment accountability. Like during that run, a guy's cack card fell out of his pocket and one of the instructors picked it up and he was gone. So it's as simplistic as that. Like, it's just all attention to detail. Like they'll tell you what you need. You need your dog tags to stay you need your CAC and a pen. Okay. I I didn't bring a pen. You're gone. No, I left my CAC in the dorms or the barracks. You're gone. So it's as simplistic as that. Like there's just no room for error at that course. Um, So sling loads finishes uh, and you're in your, then you're moving into your final week. So Monday of the second week is the end of sling loads. Um, the next one's repelling. So you spend the rest of the week repelling, which is by far the funnest part, right? So it's a blast. Um, yeah, it's great. It's, but there's, there's, it's not just one single type of repel. Like you're not just repelling a standard repel. You're learning how to repel in multiple different ways with gear on, with your ruck on your back. People we're flipping upside down, like we call possming. So they'll have their ruck on their back, and they're not they don't have enough leverage points. They'll just flip right upside down, and they're just hanging there upside down. Um, so you have to complete all four different standards of rappels um, properly to continue, or you'll fail. Um, as well as being able to hook up in a rappel har- harnesser in 90 seconds. That's inspectable. So you have to make a Swiss seat. It's called. So basically you take a piece of rope, make your own repel seat, but you have 90 seconds. But then and that, after that 90 seconds, an instructor comes up, make sure your knots are good, test how tight it is on you. And if it doesn't make it the standard, then then you get one more shot again, and then you're gone. Um, you also have to be able to hook up to a D-ring, like actually like where you would hook up into a helicopter um, in 15 seconds. So you have to have a hookup zip the d-ring uh, tight have your hands in the right position prior to, um prior to like get the clock in the 15 seconds which seems like not a lot of time but like I, we were doing them in like five or six seconds so it wasn't yeah. that bad um well yeah then then the final phase is uh rappelling out of a helicopter so you get pulled about 90 feet 85 to 90 feet in the air and you set up and you rappel out of a helicopter and then um that's like the last training portion. Um, and then you finish the last day is a 12 mile ruck. So a 12 mile ruck under three hours, 15 minute mile pace with 40 pounds of a 40 pound ruck, another rubber duck. And it's an absolute, just grind to keep that pace for 15 minutes for fifty mile pace. So, um, that's the kind of the synopsis of, uh, air assault school. Um, I'm sure there's stuff that I've missed, but like yeah, again, it's, yeah, sure, the physical standard is hard, but mentally it's even harder. And maybe that's why they call it the 10 toughest days in the Army because I know, like, they have harder courses than this. But um, the attention to detail, the consistent studying, and, like, the, the, the fast turnover for when you're actually testing the material and, you know, is so quick that, like, all you do is you, you just eat, live, and breathe air salt school, helicopters, you know. You, whatever, whatever ones they have, you know, like you're just all, that's all you think about. So
0: for 10 days straight, you know, but. Just to get a little bit of background on this, um, air assault school is facilitated by the army.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So there's multiple air assault schools throughout uh, the United States. Um Atterbury in Indiana, they give an air national guard one that I believe too the ISRG guys are going to go to um maybe April, not hundred percent sure when that drops, but. Um, four drums can consistent, uh, four drum, New York is where we went. Yeah. Um, so the 10th mountain division, but they have, they're always, they, they're always giving out courses throughout the year. But, um, luckily for us, we have a chief that used to be the, in the army. He has some really good contacts and he was able to get us into this course. And then, uh, the ISRG folks have been in contact with him and he's given them information and he was able to get one of their Air, ISRG guys, Jenkins, um, into the course as well.
0: So, what is the process to get selected
1: for this? Um, so, I mean, f- from my from my standard, it, it the process is more along the lines of just we us picking physically fit individuals, people that we know that would meet the standard. Uh, I mean, the it's it's an easy process in the regards to like just making sure that. Yeah, this person's able to go, Um, but there's no like there's no like uh, official testing you have to do uh, beforehand. But you also don't want to set anybody up for failure and send them to a course that's physically demanding and they can't meet the physical requirements. So, uh, for instance, after my crew went, the three of us from security forces went, the second three went, which was two security forces guy and the ISRG guy. um, We went to Atterbury, went to the O course. I smoked them. And then I ran them through the O course just to make sure they can meet the physical standards for that. And uh, since they could um, and they met the standards properly, I was like, yeah, I, I, you guys are good. Like, I think you should be able to go. Um, it, it's also good if they didn't make that standard, we'd be like, hey, maybe you should work out, like, you know, maybe put this off for a while till you're
0: physically fit enough to actually complete the course. And it's not very common to have Air National Guard members get selected for this. Is, is that correct?
1: Yeah. So, um and, and, like, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but uh, air assault school isn't even really on our, our radar for being able to go. Um, it's generally an army thing, same with airborne and, you know, repel master school and things like that. But um, again, like, our, I think our chief was, was paving the way in that regard until uh, getting us to the school. Now, once I don't know if we were like the first ones to go, but I will say that. We're like one of the only ones to ever get a video of us rappelling out of a helicopter by the instructors, mm-hmm. and it was because we told them like, "Hey, we're in the Air National Guard," and he's like, "What?" And then we're like, "And this is like really good, you know, PR for us, and we have never done it like, we've never seen and they've never seen anybody come through in the Air National Guard, the Air Force, yes, but not the Air National Guard. So they they took videos for us. Um, so so if that if that's any if that counts for anything, I would say that we we're like. Few and far in between for the individuals that are in the guard that actually went.
0: So, out of the entire course, what did you consider the most difficult task, and where did you see most people kind of drop off?
1: Well, like I said, like I think it's the sling loads. Sling loads are are so hard. I mean, you're talking about five five different setups you know, between setting up a, a, a Humvee to a trailer to you know different kinds of things called five k nets, like netting and having to remember how everything's supposed to be. You know what I mean? And then like you, call, you go out there and for, in two minutes um, for each station, like it's not like you get a break, like you just go to each one and then you rotate around. So the, the chances of failure are extremely high and the stakes are even higher, right? Cause it's like, you don't want to fail. So you're nervous and you have to analyze a sheet of paper telling you all the weights of the load, how many chain counts there are, like, so then you have to look at the helicopter. Can the helicopter sustain this weight? Like, is this the proper weight for this hel- or for this load itself? Like, are the chain counts right? And this is all in your two minutes. Now you have to actually go around the load itself and try to find problems with the load. So it's, it's a very stressful endeavor. And like I said, 90 people failed um, the first time around. And I understand why. And then 30 ultimately failed. So like, it's just... That's that part is the most mentally like stressful part of it, and then obviously the twelve mile ruck is probably the most physically stressful part. I mean, most people finish the twelve mile ruck had you know shoes that were soaked in blood from just blisters. Which, I mean, I know I had I had some giant ones like the size of like I don't know like a, I don't know, like, a, like a like a quarter maybe a little bit bigger, taking out my entire heel. Like there was a point in time where I could not physically walk anymore and i had to run because i needed to get off the the, my heels because it was so painful to walk so i just ran the rest of the way so i mean those are kind of like the two big check marks if you can get over the hump of sling loads then there's only thing one last thing stopping you which is that 12 mile ruck and you you know you'd be damned if you're not gonna like finish that ruck like you'll die on your shield to finish that ruck you're not going back because if you fail you you do go back you go back to the last phase you were in so you'd have to do sling loads again and then you, then you go to the ruck, right? So, or you fail the ruck, you come back and do another 12 mile ruck. So at the end of the ruck two, they do another backtrack. So people haven't been known to to fail because they finished the ruck and then they didn't have all their required uh, equipment. So they had to come back and do the 12 mile ruck again with the acquired or the required equipment. So, I mean, like there's like, again, there's always this potential to, to fail. And like after seeing people consistently go home, you kind of get just get numb to it. You're just like, ah, well,
0: I mean, glad it wasn't me. Now that you've completed the training, um, has, like, the gravity of your accomplishments started to really sink in? Our chief
1: is as gun ho as he's, he's always been, and, you know, like, he was in the Army, he's been to Airborne, he's been to air assault school. Like, if anybody showed us a sense of, like, made us feel like we accomplished something, it was him, you know, like he, but, you know, yeah, we, I mean, I feel like we we got some you know pretty good praise from our our squadron and uh we paved the way for more to go. Yeah. Um and we know how to set the standards now. So with this new crew that just went through like we helped, you know, we gave them our air assault books cuz you don't get air assault books till you get there. You know, showed them the material to study, gave them the physical standard and like we've paved this way and now we've sent five security forces members and all five of us have passed. So Um, and we're just going to continue to do that. And with our new expeditionary mindset,
0: like air assault school is something that we'll definitely most likely need. How do you feel like this is going to improve, um, or impact the 178th and its training?
1: Well, I mean, as, as far as like, so again, with our expeditionary mindsets now and this, our base defense squadron, um, and the fact that there, there may be a day where, uh, we're, You know, we're forward deployed and we're in a forward operating site that's a bare bones base that maybe hasn't doesn't have an airfield properly set up yet. Um, And we need to go in and secure it. And I mean, one of the ways we would get there is via helicopter. So repelling, um, especially if we're in in an area where there are enemies, uh, repelling, getting out of the helicopter extremely fast um, and then supply and resupply uh, that forward operating site. So. Bringing in sling loads um, with equipment and being able to unhook a helicopter, you know, and make sure that, you know, when we send equipment out, that the, the equipment's ready to go. You know, I mean, it, it could be vital equipment. So, um, and then also being able to just set up landing zones in general. So, you know, if we're bringing in more troops, the helicopters, you know, the Blackhawks or the Chinooks or whatever, you know, they have a quality landing zone, like a, a safe landing zone. And they're not going to, you know, run into a tree or crash or hit, you know, some kind of obstacle in their landing zone. Like we'll have everything marked out and ready to go for them.
0: And of course, you know, lastly, what what do you feel like is your biggest takeaway from this entire experience?
1: I mean, other than just solidifying attention to detail for me, like I, I, I mean, I, I guess I never really prided myself on attention to detail beforehand, but now I can't get away from it. Like, a, like I, I check, recheck, triple check, everything. Mm-hmm. And how actual actually important attention to detail is, especially when you're doing an op and you're in the field. Um, and not, you don't only have your own life, but other people's lives um, in your hands, right? So, you know, that's, that's like kind of one of the biggest things I took away from it. And um, honestly, like having this new expeditionary mindset, Like really makes me like what I'm like, what I took away from it is I want more. I know we want more. Um, We want to go to Pathfinder. We want to go to Dagger School. We want to, you know, we want to go to Jungle School um, because we need to be as prepared as humanly possible for the future. So um, this is just kind of one of the first steps for me and for our squadron. And like, we're going to continue. I know we got people going, uh, plan on going to Pathfinder, plan on going to Jungle School, Um, We go to Arctic school because we don't know what kind of environments we're going to. So we're continuously progressing and finding new ways to get to schools. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of what was my, my biggest takeaway from it.
0: Well, thank you so much, Master Sergeant Schneider, for sharing your story and for representing the 178th and the Ohio National Guard. I really appreciate it. And we'll definitely have to have you back soon to tell us a little bit more about some of your other experiences. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Beyond the Horizon. Make sure to subscribe and leave us a rate and let us know your thoughts in a review. Looking for more ways to connect with the 178 Wing? You can check us out on Facebook or Instagram. Feel free to shoot us an email at beyondthehorizonpodcast at gmail.com with any questions we look forward to connecting until next time keep your eyes on the horizon